So back in July, Steve was here and he spoke. And during the second service, he said the words, man, that passage has got so much stuff in it. That could be, we could probably preach that for a month. Well, he's not going to come for a month. But what he is going to do is he's going to be here this week and next week in part because that first Peter passage has so much stuff in it that uh, the Lord is, I think, going to use to motivate us to get ready for the missions conference, which is coming up November the 4th through the 11th. And so I hope that you open your hearts this week and next week as his wife joins him as well. But would you welcome him this morning as he comes uh, to share God's word? Thank you, Mike, and greetings to all of you. My wife is not with me today. She's the much better looking half, the smarter half. And uh, she's up at a conference up in uh, Fort Wayne at a medical conference for uh, the Grand Wayne Center speaking about Jesus. And I think she's done by now, but since God is not tied in with time, I'm trusting that he has worked as doctors and medical people from all over the nation coming there. And she gets to talk about refugees and immigrants and how Parkview should be involved and medical people should be involved. And she said, can I talk about Jesus? And she said, they said, well, sure. So I know she will, and I know she has. So I thank the Lord for that. I'm going to find out what God has been doing in her life. But we're down here, and I have a much more uh, accepting audience, I'm sure, than she does. This is a Bible, big, fat Bible, Yalonka Bible, the tribe that I grew up with. My dad was a Bible translator, and either they were very wordy or... The print was very big, but it's not too big. So I'm not sure. Every language has a different way to explain things. And some people take long sentences to explain one word. And every language is a little bit different. And so as we look through Scripture, and as we look in God's Word today, we're going to talk about God's mission to the world, Bible translation, and what in the world this has to do with us today, how we translate the Bible, what that has to do with God's mission in the world today, and where it started a long, long time ago. So we're going to go back a little bit from last, was it June, July? Oh my goodness, I thought it was just like last month. But anyway, see how time flies. First Peter chapter 1, I shared with you about how God uses migration. Some of you were here, I shouldn't ask you to raise your hand. Anyway, shouldn't ask you how much you remember either. But God uses the migration of people. Remember how he shifted the nations and how he uses that to bring an awakening and keep people on their toes and keep people focused on him. And he's been doing that all through the Bible. And we looked at that then at the last time. And then we looked at how God had brought the refugees and the world here and how now all of a sudden the world is in our back door and what are we going to do about it? And it's kind of scary. And God says, don't be scared. He says, I win. You're going to conquer. We're going to do this together. But how do we do it? And how does it happen? And when did God start this process? And there's a passage that I didn't elaborate on. There's a lot I didn't elaborate on in 1 Peter. But I want a little read about it because there was prophets of old um, in 1 Peter chapter 1. verse. We're going to go down to uh, verse 8 to 12. I'm sorry. I'm not used to this, really, these things. But I'm getting to that age. Okay, here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him are filled with an expressible, glorious joy. I was really moved by your song and by the worship this second hour. It was awesome. Don't you think? I was moved. You were moved by this joy that we have in Jesus Christ. You receive the goal of your faith, the salvation of your 
souls. But concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come, the prophets that wrote this Bible, all those different prophets, searched intently with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but serving you when they spoke of these things that have now been told to you by those who preach the gospel, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, that even the angels want to look into this. What did they see? What did those prophets of old really see? What were they really understanding? It's kind of like a detective novel when you read the Bible. And you say, well, let's go in with that and let's check this out. So I said, well, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to take translation, which is your theme for the next missions conference, and I'm going to go back in the Bible and we're going to look for that. And we go back, way back to the book of Genesis. And if you turn with me, chapter 11. The Tower of Babel. This is where we got all our languages. If you ever try to learn a language, you say, Lord, why? I said, Lord, why did you do this? I'm a missionary, and I have to learn all these languages. And why did you do this to me and make these languages so hard? I used to think that way about this Tower of Babel. That must have been just punishment on those people. They were so evil. Well, humanity had just come through one of the darkest days that they've ever, probably the darkest days have ever, ever occurred because God wiped out all of humanity. He saved one man and his family. Remember Noah and the flood? That's pretty bad when God gets that bad and hurt and said, I, I'm sorry, I made these people. So now they've come out of the boat. They start to repopulate the world. God says, go out and fill this earth again. Let's start over, gang. And so they started out, and they got to the plain of Shinar, which is over in Iraq someplace, and they said, this is good enough. We're stopping right here. Okay, and I'm going to start reading here a little bit. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1 to 9, and I'm just going to pick it up here down, uh, verse 3. So they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone, tar instead of mortar. They said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there all over the face of the earth. And that's how we got all these languages. That's why we need Bible translation today. That's where it all began. Why did God do that? Well, one of the reasons, it was an act of mercy. It was discipline. But he realized if he left these people together, remember what he said? With one language, one vision, I have made humanity so in my image, so creative and so powerful, nothing, this is what God said, nothing that they put their minds to will they not be able to accomplish. Anything they put their minds to, they can do. That was unbelievers. That's what God said about us. He said, I got to save them from themselves. If I leave them like this, they will go back 
to the days of Noah, and, be, and I will have to destroy them again. And I said I wouldn't do that with a flood, and I'm not ready to end the world yet, and Jesus hasn't come yet, and i got to bring the gospel to them, and i got to save them, and I promised the seed of this woman would crush the serpent's head and all this stuff. They're going to self-destruct. That's how creative and powerful God made us in his image. It was a testimony of God's creativity. Another reason, he made the language, he separated the languages. If you've ever studied another language, how many of you have ever studied another language? I asked this, and oh, wow, man, the first, there's like two people in the first group. Everybody has studied languages here. Cool. Have you ever learned a language well, and you can't, it's like, I can't explain this in English, but I can explain it in this language that I know. I can say it in this language way better than English. Well, you know why? Because every language is a culture. I learned that in cultural anthropology. Every language is a picture of that culture. So the unique diversity of humanity and everything that we are, God like recreated again. Now beautiful cultures, everything that we could do and have and be, now all over the world, he says, I'm going to give you this culture with this language. Now go, go, go. It was like God started creation again. It was like a little mini creation. It would have happened anyway because as you spread out, languages develop, people change. It would have happened slowly, but God says, i got to accelerate this thing because these people are seeking themselves, their glory, their kingdom, their building, their empire. See, it's all about us. We will build a name for ourselves, not for God. So God says, I have to step in and stop things here. So when I look at it that way, it's, okay, well, maybe God was doing okay. All right. The language business is all right. We'll, we'll work on learning more languages. So, you see, they needed a translator about that time. And nobody bothered translating. Nobody learned Arabic. Nobody learned Hindi. Nobody learned Urdu and English and all these languages. I don't know what they were. They responded in anger and fear. And so the tower stopped. The building stopped. Today... God says, I want you to start learning languages. I got another plan for you. And we're going to go through the Bible now and see what God did to bring. Now he's got all these people running all over the place with all kinds of different languages. They can't talk to each other. Well, what's he going to do? It had been so much easier if everybody could have communicated with each other, right, to get the gospel out. Divide and conquer. Okay, next slide. God's missionary tactics. God has been all through the Bible using the same tactics to reach humanity. He starts out making contact. <clears throat> he does signs, wonders, miracles, explodes something, brings a hurricane, somebody gets sick. There's all kinds of stuff he does all through the Old Testament. And then he connects with a man of peace, a person of peace. He looks for somebody, a person of peace, somebody that's willing to relate and engage and learn from his creator. I kind of made my own definition of this. If somebody's willing and open to receive a divine encounter with God and is willing to share that encounter with his community, his friends, and his family. All through Scripture, God found men and women of peace, and they wrote down what they heard, what they saw, and that's where we get our Bible. Isn't that cool? They shared that with their neighbors, with their family, with their friends. The idea was that that was, could go out through all the, the world, but it didn't quite work that way, did it? Because of our human nature. So, God says, I'm going to start with a person of peace. I'm going to invest in a relationship with that person of peace. I'm going to impart my words of truth to them so that they will learn to love and obey me. 
Well, next slide talks about Christ on a short-term mission trip. How many of you have been on a short-term mission trip? About as many of you as speak another language. That's pretty cool. Maybe there's a connection there. You go for a little while and you come back. You connect a little bit and come back. All through the Old Testament, I believe Christ, the Son of God, was on a short-term mission trip, revealing himself, breaking into humanity, doing something supernatural, connecting with a person of peace, revealing his name, his power, his glory, so that humanity could begin to come into his presence and reconnect with him. Now, when you see Jesus in the Old Testament, some people say, well, I'm not sure if it was Jesus or if it was God. Or In the Bible, Jesus said, no man, this is in uh, John 1.18, he says, no man has seen God at any time. Only the Son who's in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. It says also Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Thomas said, show us the Father. Jesus said, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, Thomas, get with it. Every time you have a visible, physical interaction with humanity, I believe that is the Son of God appearing because, see, we can't see the Father. We can't see the fullness of God's power and glory. He says, we, you, you can't see my face and live. There's a perfect example of this in Exodus chapter uh, 33. Great for talking and showing the Trinity to Muslims because it doesn't try to talk about three, the egg and the chicken and the, the yolk and all, the, you know, the, or water, the frozen and, you know, liquid. And nothing really fully fits to explain the Trinity. But this is about as good as it gets. In Exodus chapter 33, 11, Moses is, in the, is down at the bottom of the mountain in a tent of meeting. And he would go in there and it said, I quote, he talked to God face to face as a man talks to a friend. And I looked up the word God and in Hebrew it is Yahweh. So he's talking face to face with Yahweh as a man talks to a friend. Later in the same chapter, up in eight, verse 18 to 20, it says... He went up on the mountain, and he says, Yahweh, show me your glory. And Yahweh says, nobody sees my face and lives. I'll show you my goodness. I'll let some of it pass before you, but nobody sees my full glory. You see, the Father, in his fullness, we couldn't tolerate it. We would destroy, we would destroy us. But the Son reveals the Father and his glory and everything about God to us. And he says, that's my job. And all of a sudden, I have a picture of the Trinity because the Spirit then lives within me. So anyway, that's kind of a little side note there. Um, next one. How did they do this? Well, they did it with prayer. When people talk to God, it's called prayer. And communion with God, relationship. It's not a matter of a formal prayer. It's a relationship. And so all through Scripture, you saw people of peace were people of prayer. Let's look at the patriarchs. The first guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had to go down, and he said, I have to find one of these many languages, and I have to begin to work and do miracles and signs. So he picked the people of peace out, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Abraham and Isaac were really easy. He said, I'm going to give you a son. It's going to be a blessed nation. You're going to have this, this, the whole world's going to be blessed through you. And when it came down, and you get the, you know, they wrote, Moses recorded that. 
Then you get down to Jacob, and Jacob was a little struggle to work with because he had to, you know, he had to get slapped around a little bit. He really had a hard time. They had to send ladders down, you know, and, and angels had to come up and down, and he had to go work for Laban and get a couple wives. And he had a rough time. He wrestled with God, and God slapped him in the leg, and he says, I got to get this person of peace. Not always a perfect person. I got to bring this person into relationship with me so they can receive my revelation, my truth, and give that to the people. He incubated a nation of Israel in Egypt in slavery, and then he brought them out. Next slide, Moses. He gave Moses his revelation of who he was on the mountain in a burning bush. Jesus appeared to Moses and says, I am who I am. He took the Israelites through the Red Sea. The whole world in that area knew that Pharaoh was killed and wiped out by that Red Sea. God took a man of peace, and he brought his revelation through that man to humanity. And he says, I want to show you. I want to show my world. He gave him the temple, I mean the tabernacle, gave him the law, the covenant, how to come to God, how to worship God, have this sacrificial system that is a picture of our sacrifice. To come into the holy of holies, to come into a tabernacle where you have to come the right way to enter the king of kings' presence. That was all a picture God was doing. I want to prepare through a person of peace, through a nation. A million people now are focusing on one God, one vision, one prayer. It's not like the Tower of Babel now. God says, I'm going to prepare these people to be my witnesses in this world. Men like David, the next one. David was not a person of peace. He was a warrior. Well, a person of peace is not a wimp. A person of peace is not necessarily somebody who's perfect. David had a lot of blood on his hands, but he was a man after God's own heart. He's a man of prayer. You have the whole book of Psalms was written by David. Corporate prayer, individual prayer. He was constantly in communion with God. He said, David, I'm going to make you a king, and I'm going to give you an empire, and I'm going to give you a Messiah that's going to come and rule. See, David knew this stuff. David was writing this stuff down. He said, there's going to be a rock, an empire, a king, a messiah. My kingdom's never going to end. But how is this going to happen? Remember Peter? He said, these guys were diligently looking and searching in Scripture. How is this thing going to be fulfilled? And they didn't all see it happen. Today it's happened. Back then it hadn't. Solomon. Solomon built a temple. Solomon was also a man of peace. He started out good. He ended up not so good. God didn't need a temple. He said, I don't really need a temple. I'm fine in this tent. I'm fine in this tabernacle. But because you want to build a temple for me, okay, I'll show you a picture of what it's like. So again, through a man of peace, he revealed the heavenly Zion that's going to come down, the heavenly temple that one day is going to descend. All these things that we see in Revelation, he said, I'm going to begin it here for you. I'm going to begin to reveal these things so that you, my people, will understand who I am. So this is how God worked all through Scripture. You have the major and minor prophets, men and women of prayer, men and women seeking God. There were times of blessing. There were times of tragedy. The Jewish nation did not follow God very well. And so there were gods that prophesied. This book, the major and minor prophets, they're full of tears and weeping. Powerful stuff. But they were powerful prayers, powerful things God was doing over and over and over again, finding men of peace, women of peace, and said, I'm going to reveal myself to humanity 
through them. That was God's techniques. That was his strategy. He's still doing it today. They wrote down in this book for us, the Old Testament. Next passage. Next. You could go on and on. You could look through all kinds of scripture, and the same process is there. God does a miracle, powerful sign, impacts humanity, and he says, now, he says, share that. Share that with everyone else. Write it down. But he said, we would like to know how this thing ends. And they diligently sought and searched to see what God was going to do. All this about Jesus dying and rising from the dead that we see now, and sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we don't even think about how important that was for all these people. All these years, watching, seeking what God was going to do. Next slide. This is all preparation for a long-term mission trip. Jesus said, I'm coming down. And in 1 John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the glory of the one and only begotten of the Father. That Yahweh that spoke, that came on those short-term mission trips, revealed a little bit of his truth. Now it says, I'm going to come as a baby, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to take one of your bodies, and I'm going to take a name called Jesus, and I'm going to teach you in Hebrew and Aramaic what it means to follow the king of kings. That's so cool. So all this preparation, he says, now, he says, when I come down, he says, I'm going to be in communion with my father. Remember, he used to go for hours on a mountaintop and pray. Before he did anything, he always spent hours in prayer because that communion with God is absolutely crucial for a person of peace. He chose 12 men, said, you're my disciples. You're going to follow me. He chose 72. And the same technique that he used in the Old Testament, he taught them. Next passage. He said in Luke chapter 10, 1 to 18, or 1 to 8, he said, go out in pairs. Remember that passage? He says, go, don't take a bag, don't take a purse, don't take extra sandals, don't be focused on money, go in pairs. He said, make contact, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, do the stuff that I've empowered you to do. Then, he said, find a person of peace. Just like I've been doing, just like me and the Father have been doing. Because you see, John 5, 19 says, I don't do anything different than what the Father tells me to do. Everything the Father tells me to do, everything we've been doing since the Tower of Babel to bring humanity to himself, he says, that is what I'm going to teach you how to do in my place with me and with my power, with my spirit when the time has come. So I'm going to prepare you now. I'm going to show you how to do that. When you find that person of peace, tell him the king of kings is coming. The kingdom of God is near. And their job is to tell their community. Next passage. So Jesus' life, all what we did here this morning, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all this was so that we could now be free from Satan's control, free to do what God wants us to do. That's what job, God's job was. He said, that's what I've been working at this all through the Bible to get to happen, to redeem you. Now, in English, the word redeem, I'll give you a little side note here. The word redeem in English doesn't hold a lot of oomph for me. I mean, it's kind of like I maybe redeemed a cupboard and, you know, cleaned it and painted it, and so it's now looking good again. Or, You know, I know biblically it means something, but 
The word yalonka in, in yalonka language in this Bible, redeem, is called kumba fena. That doesn't mean a lick to you, but kum is your head, ba is to pull, fena is a matter. That's why this book is so long, because redeem is like three words. And so they had to have, you know, twice the size to make this happen. So kumba fena, what does that mean? Well, during those days, they had slavery, and they would bring slave trains in, or you're walking in a line, and you have your noose, your head in a noose, and you're going one behind the other, and you got 20 people with their heads connected with nooses, and your feet are all shackled. And when you see the slaves come through your village, and you see one of your family members in there, you can buy him back and pull his head, his coup, ba is pull, matter. You can pull his head from that noose, and that's the word for redeem. Isn't that cool? Not better picture than English, I think. Never had that if we didn't have that language. And there's a lots of things God is doing. So that's a little side note to how God is taking the beauty of languages and says, you can express something now in this language that will never be done in this language. And that's okay, because I want all my people to express things, to understand things, to present things in a way that brings glory to me. So, now each one of us, by his death and resurrection, can be a living temple. That temple that David built fell apart. It got broken, destroyed. There's a, the Dome of the Rock and the Amaska Mosque is there right now. But that doesn't stop God. He says, because I am going to unleash this thing as never before. You can be a person of peace. You are a person of peace. God's message is written on your hearts, your mouth is the spokesperson to communicate that truth to all humanity. So now each one of us becomes that entity of that person of peace and that relationship with God that's to take it all over the world. That's what God was doing when Jesus Christ died and rose and he redeemed and pulled our head from the noose of Satan. He says, I am unleashing something that's never been seen before. And those prophets that wrote this scripture, they said, we want to see how this thing works, how this thing came to pass. We get to see it. We are living in it today, even maybe more so than those early disciples. Because now there's millions of Christians that can unite in prayer. Next passage. It begins in Pentecost. That is the antithesis of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, you have one nation, everybody focusing with one vision to do evil, to be self-focused, build their own empire, their own kingdom, reject God's kingdom, reject God's plan, and what he said to do. And he said, I'm going to scatter them and buy some time until I can redeem them. And then under the power of the Holy Spirit, if you look in Acts chapter 2, 5 to 11, Men from every nation, God-fearing Jews from every nation, and a whole list of languages, came to Jerusalem. And when the Holy Spirit fell down upon those apostles, everybody heard the message of the gospel in their own language. That was an antithesis, the exact opposite now. And God was showing that what happened in the Tower of Babel, but this was for the kingdom of God. And God was saying, only through my spirit, falling down on humanity, transforming humanity, will you be able to do this job to bring the globe to Jesus Christ? Because I can break every language barrier. I can break everything down 
through you, my people. If I can live within you, the mobile temple of Jesus Christ, the mouth person, everybody is a person of peace. Everybody is a temple of the living God. And united under one vision of the Holy Spirit, nothing. Remember what he said? Nothing can stop these people. But now it's for me. Now it's for good. Now it's to bring my kingdom. You see what God was doing all those years? He was patient. He was waiting. He prepared. He worked. Sometimes I wonder, God, why did you take this a long time? He said, this is the process I have to take. And I have taught my people now how to do this. The same strategy he used all through the Old Testament and that he taught his disciples, that's our strategy today. And I'm going to bring that next week when we talk about Pentecost and how this is going to be unleashed. And I'm going to ask you for something next week. I'm going to call you out for something next week to join in something, okay? This is not for other people. This is not for the disciples only. We are living in a time where it is unprecedented where the power of the Holy Spirit is moving and he's calling out every one of you because you look back, say, how well did we do? 2,000 years into this now. We got oh, 6,000 languages or whatever, and we only got a 500 of them have a Bible. This was the 500th one, by the way. Did you know that? Out of all those languages, there's only 500 have a whole Bible. This was the 500th one, the Yalonka Bible. Everybody does not know about Jesus. Thousands of people are in communities around the globe speaking different languages, and God says, where are my mouthpieces? Where are my temples? Where are my people of peace? Are they building the Tower of Babel? Are they building my kingdom? That's a question only you can answer. I know where I intend to be. I want to close in sharing this last from Romans chapter 10. It says, for there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles, between those people that wrote this Bible and us. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call on the one they've not believed in? Next slide. And how can they believe in the one whom they haven't heard, and maybe not in, another, in their own language. And how can they hear if someone isn't sharing that with them and teaching them that and preaching that to them? And how can they preach unless somebody sends them? And it's written, how beautiful are the feet of the people who bring good news. That's what, when you take a Bible and you look at all those passages... Those people were serving you and me when they did this. And he says, now, he said, it is ready to be unleashed as never before. You are my people. What are we going to do? How are we going to engage? Will I be a person of peace? I leave that with you until next week. Would you take a minute? We're going to pray. We're going to bow our heads and pray for the missions conference uh, coming up. And I'll direct you to some things that I'd like for you to pray for. Okay? Um, take some time and pray over the speakers and the missionaries who will be there uh, speaking in the Sunday school classes and at the different events. 
the main speakers on Sunday mornings. Uh, pray for them that God would use them uh, to speak to us in a powerful way. Take a moment and pray specifically for the events that are happening throughout the week. The, sun, the two Sunday mornings, the, the jug breaking, or the acorn bank breaking, the mission service out at Swiss Village, the women's night, the men's night, and the speakers for each of those. Um, that God would have his way during those times. And finally, pray for yourself. Ask the Lord of creation, the Lord of everything, to open you up and transform each of you, each of us. I pray specifically, Lord, as we are about to leave here today, that this year's missions conference would not just be going through the motions, that everything would be charged with your spirit. And if there would be people in our congregation at any of those uh, meetings and meetings after the fact, that you have already gone ahead, had have already spoken to their hearts about missions, about being a missionary, about being more missions-minded, uh, whatever it is that you have done in their hearts, that they would not just sit back and just let the time go by, but that you would light the fire that would go and do something to be the mouthpiece for the gospel wherever they are and with whom they come in contact. Thank you so much, Lord God, that today we could be reminded, as we've talked about remembering all day, as we go today, Father, may we not just go back to what we do every, every week, but may we be thinking about how can I be your mouth to the people that I come in contact with. We praise you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for coming today. We'll see you next week.